You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Chet Rhodes, Deputy Multimedia Editor for Breaking News at TheWashingtonPost.com, goes on the record. I think it's clear that there's going to be a lot of dynamic change in, in newspapers. I think it's going to happen in television. You know, we're seeing it in other industries. Um, this digital revolution is really just starting to take hold at all levels. And thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online. This is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. We do in-depth interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, influential bloggers and podcasters and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I am the chairman and founder of iPressroom Corporation. We help companies integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives. Uh, I am also personally and professionally interested in how the web is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Chet Rhodes of the WashingtonPost.com. He is the deputy multimedia editor for Breaking News and is responsible for their video podcast. Uh, if you would like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do it at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, if you would like to send me feedback or leave comments, uh, there's two ways to do that. You can either send me an email at Eric at ontherecordpodcast.com, or you can uh, post a comment to the blog at www.spinfluencer.com. Also, just a quick note, I will be podcasting from the Media Relations 2006 conference in New York, April 10th and 11th, and I'm looking forward to speaking with some really interesting people there, uh, both in the media, uh, in public relations, um, and uh, with, with on the brand side, on the client side. So I uh, hope you'll have a chance to uh, listen to some of those, and now uh, we are going to play for you the interview with Chet Baker after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Chet Rhodes is Deputy Multimedia Editor of Breaking News at WashingtonPost.com. Chet, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. So now, tell us if you would uh, what you were doing before you became the Deputy Multimedia Editor at WashingtonPost.com. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I was, uh, well, I've been with WashingtonPost.com eight years, and I actually started out here just as their multimedia efforts were underway. So actually, before I was the deputy multimedia editor, I was actually a producer just with the standard news side of the website in the nation science uh, sections of the site. And then before that, I taught uh, broadcast journalism at the University of Maryland for about 10 years. Is that your background, broadcast journalism? 
Uh, a lot of broadcast journalism. I was with UPI Radio. I've worked as a local radio news director, so mostly in the broadcast area. Tell us, if you would, um, the organizational structure. I know there's Washington Post, and there's WashingtonPost.com, and then there's isn't there like a, a joint venture with Newsweek? Right. Um, it's it, the Post Company is is uh, it's kind of unique in some ways, um, and it's actually one of the things I like about it. They they have a very small corporate uh, operation, and they really delegate a lot of authority to the divisions. And so, the Washington the Washington Post company encompasses a lot of things, but basically, the areas I'm involved with is with the newspaper, the Washington Post company, the uh, Washington Post, and then there's a, a separate company called Washington Post Newsweek Interactive. That's the company I work for, which runs WashingtonPost.com, Newsweek.com. Slate.com, BudgetTravel.com, that sort of thing. So we're really the interactive side of the uh, of the newspaper, but we are a separate company. We're actually even headquartered in a separate building, uh, a few miles from the uh, downtown Washington Post. We're actually out in Virginia. And how are you integrated with the the print newsroom? Are you basically repurposing content from the print newsroom, or are you creating original content? Um. For the most part, the website itself is repurposing the content of the Washington Post. I mean, that is our brand, and that's the main reason we, we exist. Um, however, it, you know, uh, just doing newspaper on the web is is um, not enough. And so the Post company realized that early on. That's why we're separate. That's why we're WashingtonPost.com, and they've hired a, a whole bunch of people. Uh, I think it's some of the smartest people I've ever worked with, actually, that are here with us, that that actually add value to the stories that the paper does. So you, really we do you know, a ton of photo galleries. And we do a lot of audio. We do a lot of video, a lot of original video documentary work, um, a lot of special reports that just bring lots and lots of content together in interesting ways. Um, our graphics folks are great at repurposing newspaper graphics, but they also create a lot of their own interactives and things like that. So for those of uh, the listeners that are in the business of public relations, you know, we... we it had always, uh, you know, prior to the web and prior to podcasting and new media, had tried to tailor the pitch to the type of media. So we wouldn't necessarily look to the photo or the image being uh, a real selling point when it came to the newspapers. To what extent does the decisions, the editorial decisions that get made in the newsroom, to what extent are they influenced by the um, by the spectacle, by the image that might accompany that photo, seeing as how or that might accompany that story, seeing as how you're seeing value for those photos online? Right, that's a that's a really good question. I I can't speak directly to the photo implications uh, because my background here primarily is video, but it, it has some similarities to that, and I will say that. There are, you know, if there's something that's really strong visually, um, you know, do definitely take a look at whether that's going to lead our site in what we call the art slot. And actually, it's it's very similar to a newspaper, where a newspaper might lead with very strong art uh, about a story, uh, where if there wasn't that art, that story may not be an A1 story. So the, the website actually, in some ways, is similar to that. If we have some great video or great photo, that has a good chance of getting on our homepage. Um, you know, uh, because the image itself is news. So, yeah, I'd say that's definitely interesting to kind of take a look at. Walk us through, if you would, a day in the life uh, in what goes into the deciding what's going to wind up where online. Is there a meeting, and, and how is that? how are those decisions made, and how is that executed on? 
Sure. It's actually um, every every website is a little different, and I think ours has has its own unique properties. But I think I think the things that we do are, are there's some similarities across websites. So the paper, the newspaper is deciding what it's going to put in the paper the next day around three o'clock in the afternoon. So let me let me describe their process a bit, and then I'll talk about how we work with that. So there, there's there's news meetings over at the newspaper in the uh, early afternoon. Then around between six and seven, the newspaper really is getting locked down into what they're going to do because their time is running out. Then the paper gets printed and the first editions hit the streets, 10, 30, 11 p.m. That's really kind of the start of our cycle at WashingtonPost.com. When that first edition hits the streets, we get a feed elect- you know, electronically from the paper that comes over here gets sucked in amazingly by our computers and then becomes starts showing up on the website. And then um, our producers and editors know usually what is coming and they'll have pre-built packages and things to go up with these stories and they kind of match up in our system. And so for most of the night and overnight, WashingtonPost.com looks very much like the newspaper of the Washington Post. Um, and that's that's pretty traditional. But when you start coming into the morning, Oh, go ahead. I've lost you. Do you have a question? I'm sorry. No, you. I think you. Oh, am I still there? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I thought you dropped out. Go, go ahead. No, no, no. I probably did for a second. Um, uh, where, where should I pick up? I would not sure where you lost me. You were talking about the news cycle, and um, you guys pick up at around 10:30 when the first editions hit the street. Okay. Uh, so, so we get a feed from the paper. We match that up with the best kind of prepackaged content we've already made for those stories because we know they're coming. And overnight, WashingtonPost.com looks very much like the Washington Post newspaper. But early in the morning, we start to diverge from the paper because people are coming to the website to get the latest news and sometimes the paper has stories that are that are older. Sure. You know, and that's just the, na- that's the nature of a newspaper. So we actually start to look different than the newspaper as the day gets older. So by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning, roughly about 12 hours after the papers come out, we could look very, very different than the newspaper. And that is based on our own editorial judgments that occur here at WashingtonPost.com. Now, I will say that the paper has a desk called the Continuous News Desk, uh, made up of a, a group of people that are Washington Post employees. They work at the newspaper. And their job is to really work with our news desk to make sure that, that copy and information is flowing back and forth between our two organizations. And so really one of the great things that's happened in the last few years is this, this continuous news desk has been built up. And so they're getting us early post stories, uh, you know, sometimes very early in the morning. Uh, the, so instead of us having to put up an AP story, um, you know, which we'll do if we have to, um, but instead we can actually get a Washington Post staff a Stafford story early in the morning, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, um, you know, hours before they would even think about putting, you know, it in the paper. So um, that's sort of the the cycle, and then then it kind of starts all again in the afternoon with news meetings and us knowing what the paper is going to do. We've got our own mix of content, and then we start that kind of all over again. So uh, these, I guess for lack of a better uh, word, these sort of joint chiefs editors that are looking at the online and the offline side of the business, who are they reporting to? 
Well, we have our news desk reports uh, to our editor of the newsroom, Howard Parnell, and then he reports directly to our vice president for news, Jim Brady, who's our executive editor of the site. So it's a very direct reporting structure, very clear. On the Washington Post side, the continuous news desk is actually run by uh, an AME of the paper, which an AME is kind of like, uh, almost like a deputy editor. The Post structure is kind of interesting. It's very uh, horizontal in that sense. Um, but it's an AME, which has, it's like head of a section at the paper. Like you have an AME of sports and an AME of style. So we have an AME of continuous news. So it's a very uh, good position. Uh, at the top level of the newsroom that those folks on the continuous news desk report to. So now you so the communication I'm sorry, go ahead. The communication I was going to say the communication is very clear and it's good and it's at a very high level so that way things can be done quickly. So now you've been there for 8 years and you've seen obviously the web take off. I I would imagine the amount of attention and authority that's given to the editorial side of the business responsible for WashingtonPost.com has changed over the years. Yeah, it's changed, but I will say one of the reasons that I came here was I think that the Post um, very early on recognized where this medium was going to go. Um, as did others, but I mean, I, I just, I was very impressed with the amount of effort that the post company was putting into this um, web organization very you know just incredibly early on so we've actually built a very robust editorial operation here um, in in the time I've been here you know where some people are really just getting started uh, you know we've got a, an amazingly uh, complete very in some ways mature organization operating so when you say um that you were impressed that they were able to see where this business was heading. Where is it heading? Well, I think it's clear that there's going to be a lot of dynamic change in, in newspapers. I think it's going to happen in television. You know, we're seeing it in other industries. Um, this digital revolution is really just starting to take hold at all levels. And, uh, you know, I think the computer and certainly the Internet are going to have far-reaching impacts on lots of industries. Uh, I, it's hard to say exactly where it's heading. I guess when I say they knew where it was heading, I meant that they knew that it was going to be important. Um, everyone I talk to thinks newspapers are going to be around for a long time, that you will still have a newspaper, uh, you know, a, lot of the, uh, a newspaper to read and that, that kind of journalism will be around. Um, the question is, will there be as many newspapers, and will they still be published every day, or you know, will the newsrooms be the size they are now? I mean, I think those are good questions, and I think uh, there's going to be some tough, tough choices in that area in the next few years as kind of the industry kind of reemerges. And and then you know, how much can the internet support? Um, the type of journalism that's historically been done in newspapers. You know, it's a, it's a big question and one that we really are working hard to try to answer. What do you mean by that? I don't, I don't really understand. Well, the Washington Post has um, 800 reporters. Uh, we have a newsroom of 50 or something. Um, you couldn't just replace the Washington Post newspaper with the website. We get the majority of our content from those 800 reporters. 
somehow that journalism has to be maintained in order for us to maintain the kind of quality we have uh, now. And so how to pay for all of that, um, given that the ad models on the Internet are different than they are in newspapers, is, is really the, the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it going to be syndication, like some of the things the New York Times is experimenting with? Is it going to be just pure ad delivery? That's what our model is with a little registration. You know, I don't know. It's going to be, It's you know, is it going to be a combination? Uh, will there be, you know, there, one thing that newspaper people have been hoping for for a long time is this kind of uh, magical thing called digital paper, which would be something that would be, uh, I guess, equivalent to a, a notebook computer today, but yet would just be sort of very lightweight and uh, a paper-like material that could display images and graphics and text, and you could carry it around and it would be very easy to read. I mean, the newspaper is a wonderful, uh, has a wonderful user interface. That's why people, a lot of people like newspapers. They're very, you open them up and they're very easy to read. Um, problem is you can't change them dynamically. You know, once you print it, that's it. So what if you could have something that was easy to read but also could be, could be changed dynamically? You'd have a whole new have a whole new thing. So I don't know. I think technology is going to have some impact in this area in the future. Well, seeing as how you're, you asked, you're, you're talking about technologies, I'd like to geek out and just ask you a technical question. You mentioned sure. that there are all these feeds that are coming from the, the newsprint division to the online division. Tell me about those right. feeds. Are they RSS feeds? What are they? Um, yeah, I'd have to, I, I, I would have to not get too technical on that because I, I actually have not had to work with those feeds in quite some time, thankfully. We have a wonderful IT unit here that, that has to work directly with the paper. But the, the paper basically uh, has a, a publishing system for the newspaper, um, and they can export stories from that publishing system directly to our, what we call our content management system. So um, I believe those are little XML snippets that kind of get sent across and put into a basket over here. And then our, our processes take it from there. And obviously there's probably keywords and things like that in there that then allow it to come into our system. And is that content management system that you guys are using a proprietary system? It's a bit proprietary. We actually uh, purchase it from CNN. Uh, it's, it's based on some technology they developed and then we've customized it quite a bit for our own purposes. To what extent do you, uh, as an editor, rely on information that you find on corporate websites um, to do your job? Well, given my area is mostly in the video side, actually we use corporate websites quite a bit um, because we... And that's one of the things that's interesting about this. I do so much every day, especially in the breaking news area. So we might be taking a, a video of a new car, say, from a, a car manufacturer's website. So a handout video from them can be very useful that's going with a car review, you know, because that's great content. You know, um, we have somebody from the Post reviewing the car, and we can show the car and give a nice little video, and there you go. So um, we do that a lot with product-type things, so they can be very useful there. Uh, obviously, in the movie, movie industry, um, we, get, uh, we get a lot of trailers via tapes. We're in a tape service that gives us a lot of the trailers. 
Um, but sometimes we have to go and download those from movie sites uh, when they're available that way. Or sometimes they'll have extra interviews for the media that you can go and get. So those things can be can be very helpful. Now you're in charge of the video podcast, um, which uh, you can download and watch on a on a video iPod or on your desktop. You can subscribe to it and get them automatically. I'd be very interested to know from you what what did it take to uh, get the Washington Post to say, hey, let's do this. I mean, was it uh, an initiative that you introduced? And if so, tell us what you went through to be able to sell. Um, an organization like the Washington Post internally on the idea of using podcasting. Yeah, uh, let me let me take it as sort of two parts. Um, the video podcast was actually extremely easy to sell the company on, uh, and I'll explain why in a second. The audio podcast that we're also we also offer one audio podcast at the moment. Uh, that's actually been a much harder uh, thing to do. Uh, and le- let me explain the difference between the two. The video podcast, we're taking content we already have, which is our we have a documentary video team and we have our breaking news video team, and we're generating content every day. So it's very easy to pick sort of a best of to put into that video podcast. We don't have to do very much to do that other than create the XML. And, you know, we downloaded the uh, QuickTime Pro and converted it to the iPod, and there you go. Uh, we had to do some work on the hosting side, but we've already, because we're hosting video already, it was not a great leap to do that. So internally, that was a very easy thing to convince people um, to do. It didn't didn't take long. I think we basically decided we were going to do it in about a day. <laughs> you know, it wasn't 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 hard because it was sort of like, well, how many people will you need to do this? And the answer was none. And so it was like, why wouldn't we do this? All right. Well, the audio podcast is a whole nother a whole nother ball game. And that's actually been difficult for us to do uh, internally because the audio podcast we've had to take, uh, what that podcast is, is a, uh, a person reading an entire post story verbatim from the newspaper. And we try to pick a selection each day that's the most in- what we think people would be very interested in. Uh, we don't usually typically do breaking news, but we try to go into the more analysis pieces or the more kind of offbeat cultural pieces that the Post does very well. So we had to find someone who had that hour to hour and a half in their day to produce that. Um, so it's taking them less and less time each day, but it still takes a period of time. Now you may and that was tough. I'm oh, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I was going to say, so finding that person, because we didn't have anyone on staff, we didn't have an audio reader on staff, we weren't doing radio at that point, uh, though we're getting ready to now, so it's going to get easier. But, uh, you know, so we just had to, that took a bit in the organization because no one here is completely convinced of where the business model is for podcasting yet. Um, you know, so because that, that's still a ways off, I think, before podcasting really starts to pay for itself. I think it's a it's a great format. Obviously, it's got a future, but it's still very young. Um, so taking an actual person's time was a tougher sell. So if you can automate things. It's pretty easy to get people to say that's a great idea, but the minute you say, "Hey, I need a person, you know, every single day to do this thing," then it becomes tougher. Sure. So now you said you have this content management system in place. 
why would you need a content management system? Why wouldn't you just have some webmasters and have them deal with uh, managing content? Oh, wouldn't that be great? Um, now, the reason is, well, there's two reasons. One, we have most of our editorial folks, well, pretty technically savvy. They're not really webmasters. They're not, they're not like HTML and Java pros and able to just go in there and tweak with the code and make it look amazing. Um, so we have to pretty much use templates and things like that. Um, so, and we get a ton of content from the paper. Uh, gosh, I don't know how many stories it is a day. It's, it's a lot. I mean, it's not just 10. It's like, you know, a whole bunch. Let me say that because I don't want to say a number and then be wrong. Um, it's more than a few people could just put on the web. So we really need to use a lot of automation tools to make sure that those things get put in all the right places. We have a very deep, rich site, um, uh, you know, that people find useful when when they want to dig down into our stories. And so it's just it's just not practical for a group of people to do that without some sort of automation. But and but you mentioned you mentioned that there are the feeds coming out of the paper. So couldn't you just populate the website automatically with those feeds? I mean, why would and well, and if on the publishing side, a writer is using um, some sort of technology to upload their stories, couldn't that technology also satisfy the website as well as the print side with one upload? Oh, sure. No, and, and we do just that. I mean, that's exactly what our content management system does. I mean, a lot of it is built to take those feeds in and then put those stories in the correct, we call them nodes. But correct, I call them, let's call them places, the correct places on the website. So if you have a story come in that's about the United Nations and about Botswana, it'll put it in the United Nations node as well as the Botswana node, you know, and in the world section. So it, it knows to, based on the keywords of the story, it knows how to put it in the correct places. Um, and that's, that's a pretty good process. However, it doesn't always work. <laughs> Because sometimes they'll spell Botswana wrong, or you know the keyword won't get put in, or whatever, and it'll end up somewhere else. And you know that's where the people have to come in to make sure that's happening right. And then, really, what our producers do is um, they are enabled to come along and make sure that there's a great photo gallery with that story, or that there's a nice link to the actual PDF of the report from the United Nations, or something like that. In other words, to make to make it to take you beyond the story, to, to really try to benefit, generate some benefit from it, the story being on the web. What have you learned about podcasting since you've been doing this? Or, or maybe more specifically, what is inherent about podcasting as an electronic media format that is different from other types of media? I think... The most interesting thing about podcasting is the fact that um, if you thought that websites, the, the bar to publish was low for the web, the bar for doing a podcast is even lower. And what I mean by that is it's, it's possible for almost anyone with a, with a very limited set of technical skills but maybe a great idea to do podcasting. Um, it's actually similar to blogging in that sense, I think. In other words, if you want to create a blog, it's very easy for you to do that. If you want to do podcasting, it's 
it's fairly easy for you to create a podcast and go out and do it. And so um, uh, that is great. I mean, there's just a ton of great content that's mixed up with all these different podcasts. So that's one both opportunity and challenge for us. Um, I'd say the other the other interesting thing is that you really the the, the you can't underestimate how important iTunes is to this whole podcasting effort and their choices in how they promote podcasts and uh, how their their iTunes software is going to integrate podcasts into your life is going to be really important. Uh, it, it, you know they've they've clearly just become a very dominant force in this in this uh, growing medium, and it'll be interesting to see if that continues or if somebody else comes along to figure out a better way to make podcasts useful to people. Because there's so many, somebody has to do the filtering, um, and uh, that's kind of iTunes has become now, at least from our point of view, the the main player in that filter. So will they be that filter, or will there be somebody else? Um, you know, Yahoo and Google are both trying to do some things. There's the older podcast websites that have always been around have been doing some great work. Um, so I don't know. It's a wide open field. It's very interesting. What kind of uh, traffic are you getting on, like, on the podcast? How many downloads do you get, say, per podcast on average? Yeah, I have to speak kind of delicately about that because we're technically not supposed to give out our numbers. But it's ranged anywhere... Uh, from the hundreds to the, the several thousands. Uh, we haven't hit what I kind of think of as the magic number, which is 10,000 yet. I would like to see us getting 10,000 downloads a day. Um, and we're not, we've come close a couple times, but we haven't, haven't gotten there yet. And actually, surprised, what's surprised me is our video podcast has been far and away the most popular thing we've done. And I, I think that's just because we've, we were just in a unique position to get it out there so quickly. It's free. It's not explicit content, which a lot of the video is, and uh, it's some really interesting, cool stuff. So, are there any specific challenges associated with, um, I guess, promoting linear content? When you mean linear content, you mean like podcasts or? Yeah, I mean when I because when I watch the video podcast. I guess I have to relinquish control of my computer. You know, I'm not driving anymore. It's a passive oh, oh, okay. experience. So I wonder, right. is, is there any... What are the challenges associated with that, and do you see that changing? Well, yeah. I mean, it is it is a somewhat more passive experience in podcasting. I think... And there's a lot of there's a lot of people working on this in television too. Interactive television is kind of uh, getting closer to reality. Um, with every uh, I go to attend the National Association of Broadcasters show every year, and every year interactive TV is a big buzzword out there. So they obviously keep working on it. Um, I think that the devices are holding us back a bit right now, and the and the technology is holding us back a bit. But I do see there'll be a continued merging of video and audio streams along with really smart data so that you can interact with your podcast. So, for example, uh, say two years from now, if we were doing this interview again, and someone was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. I would like to see the Washington Post podcast right now. 
you would be able to embed that data in this podcast and someone could very easily on their device pause the show they're listening to, quickly bring up the thing we were talking about, look at it for a few minutes and go, eh, interesting, and come right back to our conversation. That's not really practical today, but that's where we need to get to. Turn off my phone. Hold on one sec. The cool thing about sure. podcasts is we just we let this stuff happen. We're not, we don't cut it out. Um, final question. What if somebody came to you and said, I have a story and you thought it was a great story, and they said to you, look, we want to break this story exclusively as a podcast. I don't want it in the paper first. I want it to be a podcast first. Could they do that, or would it sort of defy the organizational structure that you guys have set up there? Um, I would, I would think it would, it would have to be a conversation about the story. I mean, I think we always look at it as where is it best to break this story, and and a lot of that's driven by, comp- for competitive reasons. Um, the problem with podcasts are that in that sense, it would, I think, it would be tough to convince us to do that only because. Um, it can. It, there's a bit of delay in delivery of the podcast to people as they sync up with their devices. It's not like you put it out there and all 10,000 of your subscribers have it. If they're not connected or syncing at that moment, they may not get that story for 24 hours. So there's a little bit of a delivery issue there that we'd have to think about. But well, I mean, well, let's I don't say it wasn't it wasn't hard news. Let's say it was some more feature mm-hmm. news or maybe something right. you, fashion or you lifestyle. That way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think we would rule that out because we've certainly broken things just on the web, and we've broken things with video. So I mean, we, the 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 great thing about this place is those conversations can be you can have those conversations. They don't shut that kind of discussion out. And uh, they're open to those ideas. I mean, obviously, you'd have to have a convincing argument. But yeah, why not? Could be done. But when you say they, it wouldn't be a conversation somebody would have with you. They would have with somebody else. I think. Uh, well, anytime you're talking about breaking something that's maybe an exclusive to our company, you would. You, it would be a larger conversation. Yeah, it would be a conversation that would involve our top editor, and then then depending on the type of story, would probably involve the editors at the paper. Um, we have a, a tech writer here that has broken some really amazing. Uh, stories on the web um, in the security area, uh, like hacker, the hacker area. And, uh, you know, so when the heat gets some really juicy stuff that we know is something only we have, you know, that, that, that conversation gets kicked up to a higher editorial discussion. That's just the nature of, of our newsroom. Chet, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Great. Thank you, and I appreciate it. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.